Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 177 of Dogcast Radio. Today we welcome back Dr. Patrick Mahaney, who spoke to us last time about helping our dogs cope with allergies. That was episode 170, which you can find along with all our other episodes and other resources at our website, www.dogcastradio.com. This time, Dr. Mahaney and I are talking about canine cancer. It's a subject many of us shy away from, but we shouldn't because there has never been more hope for dogs with cancer. First of all, though, I asked Patrick what kinds of cancer he sees in dogs. So dogs get a lot of the same cancers that humans do. Probably the most common cancers that dogs and cats get is called lymphoma, Hmm. which also is known as lymphosarcoma. It is a malignant cancer of white blood cells, and there's many different types of it. Um, There's many types depending on the dog's genetics and a variety of other factors, such as what the dog could have been exposed to. Well, first of all, let me just back up and say there's no known cause of cancer. Um, sometimes it's related to genetics. Mm. Genes can be passed down from you know, the mother dog to the son or daughter dog or human. Um, other times there are environmental factors that can cause it, like exposure to pesticides or toxins in food or water. Other times it can be related to substances that stimulate an immune system response, such as back in the 90s there was a, um, a correlation between agents that were put into feline leukemia vaccinations that caused the immune system to become stimulated to produce a better response to the vaccination, and inadvertently that caused cancer. Yeah. So um, we just never know what the cause is going to be, and so that's why I feel like My mission in my veterinary practice, especially as a holistic practitioner, is to try to minimize the things that we know can cause cancer that are put into or onto our pet's bodies. So so in terms of the common types of cancer, lymphoma is extremely common. Other common types of dog cancers include hemangiosarcoma, which is a malignant cancer of blood vessels Mm. that often manifests in the spleen, liver, and or heart. And very often, it's common in um, larger dogs like Labradors, Golden Retrievers, Rottweilers. And you find out when it happens when suddenly an organ system like the spleen bursts and the dog starts to lose blood into the abdominal cavity, becomes very lethargic. Um, Probably another super common type uh, is osteosarcoma, which Mm. is a malignant bone tumor that can manifest similar to arthritis but ultimately progresses to the point that the dog becomes more lame and can't even develop a fracture at the site where suddenly bone breaks and there's a very, very severe swelling, a lot of pain. And that's probably most common in very large and giant breed dogs and their mixed breeds like Great Danes, um, Newfoundland, Mastiffs, etc. And sometimes it's even more common at the site of surgery, such as where metal implants are put into fixed fracture bones. Mm-hmm. So those are probably our most common type with them, maybe the fourth being mast cell tumors. Yeah, and yeah. mast cells are, are cells that are involved in immune system function. They help to regulate inflammation in the body and they manifest manifest typically as a tumor on the skin surface, but can also be inside and are very common in breeds like pit bulls, Boston Terriers, Visalas, Weimaraners, and their mixes. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the mast cell tumor is the one that's affected um, Buddy, and um, 
and that's sort of what one of the things that made me look at this because Buddy started with a very, very small lump. Um, I think it was behind his ear the first time. And we went to see the vet and she said, oh, I think that's just a, a, a fatty lump, you know, don't worry. But we will needle aspirate. Now, mm-hmm. I'm really grateful to her. I hadn't got a clue. You know, it wasn't, canine cancer wasn't something I'd looked into because it is an area you shy away from. And sure. so she she did a needle aspirate, which involved sort of inserting a very small needle into the lump and getting some cells out of it. And she said again, no, that looks like a fatty lump it doesn't look too bad so we we brought him away and we just forgot about it and a few days later we got the a phone call saying i'm ever so sorry to tell you it is a mast cell tumor it is cancer we need to get him in we need to take that off well of course all i heard i, I didn't really hear the word she was saying all i heard was your dog's going to die imminently and right. of course that was wrong i mean buddy's still with us uh, four and a half years later i'm touching wood now but he you know he seems okay at the moment so there is life after that and we've been very fortunate in that ours haven't ours <laughs> buddies hasn't spread um they haven't been very aggressive ones so you know we we sort of have been very lucky but we were also lucky in in the our vet said we will needle aspirate we will look at this we will find out what it is we will treat it it wasn't a case of we'll wait and see you know so i'm very grateful to her um and that's why you know when you mentioned cancer i want this is why i want to talk to you about it and sort of get the right information out there and help people be as proactive as they can to help their dog so what I mean, I found Buddy's just by accident. I was actually, although I do groom him, although he's a short-haired dog, but I was just sitting fussing him and I sort of put my hand behind his ear and thought, oh, what's that lump? So that was one symptom. Now, I always say to people, groom your dog, even if it's short-haired, even if it doesn't actually, you know, technically need it, as it were. Just groom them and put your hands all over them and feel because that lump that you find might just save their life. So what symptoms... Of these cancers, can I mean, it sounds like some of them are, are very obvious and very shocking and you, you wouldn't have known, had much warning. But what symptoms, um, Patrick, can we look for to spot this cancer early? Because early detection is good, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And that's really important that owners are very attuned with what's going on with the health of their pet, just like they would be if they uh, were raising a, an infant. They're always like monitoring and looking and feeling. So you should be looking at your pet every day. You should be smelling your pet every day. <laughs> you should be putting your hands on your pet every day to try to feel for, besides an obvious lump or bump, there could be a place on the body where there's an area of warmth or sometimes even cold. The warmth would have be result as a result of inflammation that's there and the cold could occur if there's improper blood flow to an area. Mm. There also could be pain on a particular place like with the, what I mentioned before, the osteosarcoma, the bone tumor. Very often there's pain to the touch at the site. Um, Along with that, there could be obvious lameness where the pet isn't able to use a limb properly or maybe is having difficulty going up or down stairs or elevated surfaces quite as well as they should. There could be lethargic behavior where the pet might seem more tired and unable to perform at a certain level athletically or maybe even not even willing to go for walks quite as there should. Mm -hmm. They're definitely um, one of the most common signs that have to say is uh, changes in appetite where the pet just doesn't feel as interested in food and may walk away from food or may develop a food preference for something tastier, like you're able to entice them to eat something um, because they just aren't really interested in eating food. But yes, they want to eat that, you know, super yummy piece of bacon that you're going to give them. Um, 
And then certainly conditions like vomiting or diarrhea, that, that's a, a very common sign of cancer as well. Of course, it's a very common sign of other things mm-hmm. too, like if your pet <laughs> eats something that it shouldn't or if it has a parasitic or bacterial infection or something. So we, there's so many things that can kind of correlate with other diseases and that's why we want to make sure we're very, very carefully um, really assessing our pet's health on a day-to-day basis and any changes that become more concerning we immediately bring to the attention of our veterinarian. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things I was going to say to you. If if people spot something, you know, it can be a lump or, you know, as you say, the lameness or, you know, whatever it is that you think is, oh, that's quite concerning. Is that is that cancer? What, you know, what should they do? Let's really bring this home to them because it's it's quite appealing in some ways to bury your head in the sand and think, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm going to pretend it's not there. It will go away. You know, I'm, I'm just going to ignore it. What should they do? Sure. So any any real concerns, I say, um, have some kind of communication with your veterinarian. Um, it, it, it might merit going in and having an immediate exam in a hospital or perhaps having a conversation with your veterinarian to determine if the clinical signs persist, if it needs to be seen. But I really feel like any time a lump is found, a lump or bump that's greater than the size of a pea, then you should bring your pet to the veterinarian for an examination. And as your dog had what's called a fine needle aspirate, where a needle is put into tissue, some cells are sucked off. Um, I typically send mine to an external laboratory for a board-certified veterinary pathologist to examine, but sometimes a vet will do an initial exam in in hospital to get an idea if there's something that needs to be addressed right at that moment or if it could wait a couple days for results. So one of my favorite adages is, why wait aspirate? which is from Dr. (laughs) Sue, um, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, Dr. Susan Ettinger. She's a New York veterinary oncologist. She's an awesome person. Actually, we were in a um, documentary together called My Friend Changing the Journey, where uh, the lives of three families who had pets with cancer were chronicled, including my own dog, Cardiff, and Dr. Sue contributed to it as an expert. So she's got a a really good um, message for people where why wait? Aspirate. If you yeah. find something a pea size or larger, bring it to the attention of your veterinarian. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I now have um, twice, well, Buddy's had four lots of, well, three lots of mast cell tumors, one, um, one tumor that wasn't cancerous. Um, but, and that was an internal one, as you say. Um, but the, since he's had his cancers, his mast cell tumors, I've twice taken him in and said, look, there's a lump here. And the vet's been you know, fairly confident that it's not going to be um, a mast cell. And I've said, mm-hmm. you know, can, OK, that's fine. I, you know, I, I trust you. You're probably right. Can we aspirate? And they yes. have, you know, and the one time it had to, it, there was a lump between his toes and it had to come off because it was causing him pain. It wasn't a mast cell, but it had to come off because it was so big it was causing him pain and, you know, trouble walking. And the other one, he's just had a tiny one aspirated um, just on his ear again. And um, and thankfully that wasn't um, mast cell. So, you know, that can stay and we'll, we'll just keep an eye on it. But it's that thing of, you know, as you say, it's better to be safe than sorry and sort of find out um, because there really has never been so much much hope and sort of so many treatments available. So what kind of treatments are available? We we were lucky with ours, I think, that he he had them surgically removed and that we got clear margins and the cancer was gone. And thank goodness it hasn't come back. But what else is, is available? 
Sure. I mean, the fortunate thing there, uh, veterinary cancer treatment very much parallels what's going on in human and sometimes even what goes on in veterinary medicine translates into human treatments as well. So it's a really great um, correlation between helping different species all suffering from similar conditions. So um, I think where we have surgery, which is going to remove the mass or masses either in full or partially depending on the location. For example, say you have a huge tumor that is somewhere inside the abdominal cavity and it seems to be attached to both the liver and to other organ systems, you might not be able to remove it all, but perhaps you could go in and remove a large section of it, which is hopefully going to make your pet more comfortable and buy him some time, but it may not completely cure it. So you could you could debulk the mass. You could remove it in part but not in full and still cause some improvement and also get a actual biopsy sample to confirm that that's the disease that's going on. So surgery is a great option. And actually for my dog, Cardiff, who has T-cell lymphoma, he's had two surgeries to remove intestinal tumors, and that's the only place we could actually find the cancer at the time. So mm-hmm. surgery instantly put him into remission because we couldn't find it anywhere else. Yeah. Yet he still had our next treatment that we'll talk about chemotherapy to try to kill cancer cells that could eventually become tumors. So um, chemotherapy, there's not just one type of chemotherapy. There are many types of chemotherapy, sometimes given singly or in combination, mm-hmm. um, usually not at the exact same time time in terms of like the same appointment or dose that you might give at home. But chemotherapy could be a pill. Chemotherapy could be a liquid that is injected. Chemotherapy could be beads that are implanted into the body. It really depends on the, the type of cancer and the mm-hmm. oversight of the veterinary oncologist. And then there are um, other types of treatments like radiation. Radiation is a use of a very high energy beam that can help to shrink tissue and potentially kill and resolve cancer. Depends on the type of cancer, the location, the number of treatments that are used, etc. Um, so, and then I, from my perspective, I'm a complementary and alternative medicine practitioner who also does Chinese medicine. So, I will use other treatments like acupuncture, Chinese herbs, um, nutraceuticals or supplements that have some kind of anti-inflammatory or immune system supporting effect. And that very much can help the body to uh, manage some of the clinical signs better. For example, a lot of times when dogs or cats get chemotherapy, the chemotherapy is meant to kill rapidly dividing cells, including cancer cells, but it also will kill cells in the digestive tract and in the bone marrow. Mm -hmm. So very commonly, there can be immune system suppression and other things like diarrhea or vomiting or decreased appetite. And so if we're giving our pet something like a treatment such as chemotherapy and they're getting really sick from it, it might make an owner think, is this the right thing I'm doing? How's the pet's quality of life? So if we can minimize the side effects of cancer treatments by using things like supplements and whole food-based diets, it can make the patient have a much better, patient and owner overall have a better experience in the cancer treatment process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is, it's why we do all these things. You know, we want them to have a good quality of life and as long a life as possible, but as, you know, as you say, as as happy a life as possible. And is it true that sort of generally dogs tend to react better to sort of chemo than humans do? Or is, is that not the case? 
That is actually the case. So chemotherapy is often given in lower doses and sometimes less frequent doses for dogs as compared and dogs and cats as compared to humans. Because generally, what we're trying to do is buy months to years of life as compared to sometimes years to entire lifetimes. Yeah. And so the treatment tends to be much better accepted. And one of the most common questions I get asked about chemotherapy in dogs is: Is my dog going to lose his hair? Yes. Um, his hair may not grow quite as well uh, at the time that he's getting chemotherapy because it does affect um, the hair cells, and so they don't tend to flourish quite as well. So hair might not go, grow quite as lustrous or as full, but at the same time, hair will still continue to grow. But um, certainly we have to consider that there, we want to always kind of focus on the, the pet's quality of life in the process, as you mentioned. And if, we, if we're going to treat – I always think about this with, with Cardiff, my dog, is that if I was treating him – and I wasn't seeing him improve on whatever treatment I was doing, and there wasn't another treatment available, I probably would not continue to treat mm. because his quality of life would be poor. But if his quality of life is good and I'm treating him, then I will continue to treat. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, thankfully, as I say, you know, but he's been sort of um, muscle tumor free. But there is that balance. You know, he had his first one at nine and he was a very fit and active dog. And he still is sort of active, but he's 13 and a half now. And you and now I, you can sort of cross your fingers and think, oh, please don't let him need surgery. And they're always surprised when they take him into the surgery, um, the vet surgery, and sort of because they, they know they've got an 11, 12, 13 year old dog coming in for mm-hmm. surgery. And then they see him and they go, oh, yes, fine. <laughs> I've got no problem with operating on him now. Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, so he is vigorous still. But the, there does come that time where you look at the scales kind of of the getting rid of the cancer and what he's got to go through and what will it gain him. Right, and, and you ask yourself those really difficult questions. So it is independent on so many things, isn't it? The age and the quality of life, and what is it going to gain the dog, isn't it? Absolutely, and, so, and even the cost of treatment because um, yes. cancer surgery or chemotherapy radiation is not an inexpensive endeavor. Uh, typically, removing, say, like a single skin tumor is probably going to be a lot less expensive than opening up an abdomen to take out a spleen that's completely you know, obliterated by hemangiosarcoma oh. or going into a chest to remove a, a lung tumor or something like that. But at the same time, uh, we can you know, it, it cost very much plays into how much owners can do. And um, certainly, uh, the, the pet's age as well, I mean, I always try to tell people, my clients and, and my readers, that age is not a disease. Yes. And so, so often, like, I hear the ter- I hear, the, and this kills me, um, uh, metaphorically, my dog is too old to go under anesthesia to have his teeth cleaned. So, like, you're going you're gonna to electively leave this disease that's causing all this infection and inflammation in your dog's mouth and is also extremely toxic for the heart, for the liver, for all body systems. And you're just going to let the dog go because you think that the age is too advanced. Mm. Um, I always think, like, is the dog healthy enough to go under yes. anesthesia? Is, is, what is his recovery going to be like and in, in, in the quality of life in that recovery. And I really try to not even think about age that much. And so often, like, I get clients that ask me, you know, how old is my dog? Or what, how old do you think my dog is? And I just have this, like, I'm kind of blind to a patient's age. I'm much more focused on what is their actual day-to-day quality of life and the, and the diseases that go on in the body. So I really think age is truly just a number, and we should more focus on the overall health of the pet. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And it's something, actually, I remind myself, you know, daily because – I do think 
with Buddy being 13 and a half. And I, I, I kind of fall into that, no, he can't do that. And I won't take him here. And I won't do this with him. And I think, no, for goodness sake, don't wrap him up in cotton wool. You know, let him, he'll tell you what he can do and what he can't do. And so it is because you think they're so precious, you know, and, and you, you start estimating, well, how long will I have left with him? You know, and, and it, it is a difficult issue. But yeah, you need to let them live as full a life for as long as possible. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, something... Um, I, I do want to sort of come on to, in general, what we can do to sort of help our dogs not get cancer. But then if they do get cancer, what, what can we do to sort of make them as comfortable as possible? But before I, we get to that, I want to talk about something that's, again, quite a, a difficult thing for owners to to think about in the heat of the moment, you know, when their dog is actually ill or, you know, if the worst happens. But... I know in, um, in, 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 in the UK, and I don't know if there's an equivalent in, in America, but in the UK, the AHT, which is the Animal Health Trust, um, has asked for um, tissue donation of, you know, tumor, either removed and the dog is healthy or, you know, as I say, if, if the worst comes to, you know, and the pet is dead, they've asked for the tissue donation of the tumour and the cancer, whatever it was, that has affected that dog. And there's a huge uh, move over here to sort of amass and a lot of, as much data as possible so they can look at what was the cancer, what treatment was given, what was the outcome, you know, and then in future they can have this, you know, large amount of data to look at. Well, okay, this is looking like the best path to take. This is looking like it's going to work. Now, I think that's really good. But as I say, it does rely on tissue donation from an animal either when it's, you know, you've just had the, the lump removed and the dog is fine, or from owners at a very difficult time. So it is something that I think we should all have thought through and know that that's something we want to to help and, and support. Um, and indeed, I know one lady, um, Sharon, who has donated, her, she had Great Danes, again, prone to cancer, um, and she donated their, their whole bodies to to be sort of to research and to to help other great danes and other dogs not go through the same thing so it's it's hugely emotive but you can do a lot of good you know if if you can take that brave decision is there anything anything like that in the states you know i've not heard of that before but i can't say that there isn't um I, I work at a veterinary cancer treatment facility on a every on a every week basis, mm. and I don't recall any of my the the oncologists that I work with yeah, collecting yeah. tissue samples for database type collection. But I can't say that it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll look into that. But um, it, it just seems it's a. It's one way to fight back if you can feel empowered and that you can fight cancer in some way. It kind of helps you, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and um, and part of what you brought up before is that I think that owners should focus on trying to have their pets be as minimally prone to cancer by reducing the toxins that go in and on our pet's body that are known to cause cancer. Um, and there are even a lot of hidden toxins that we don't know are there in pet foods and treats. Yeah. And sometimes they're very liberally given to pets without really thinking, oh, okay, what exactly is in this? For example. Um, treats that look like fake meat, either sausage or bacon, are very commonly made with ingredients that have preservatives that are chemicals that have been correlated with cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two prominent ones that are also included in human foods like sausages and stuff, if you read the label, include uh, BHA and BHT, and that stands for butylated hydroxyanalose. 
and butylated hydroxytoluene, and both are correlated with cancer in laboratory animals and in humans. And so why electively give your pet something as a food or treat because it looks fun and it looks like real meat when you could actually just give a fresh piece of real meat that doesn't have artificial colors, flavors, chemical preservatives and such. And even places like um, fish meal, for example, that is used in many common fish-based kibble foods can have a chemical preservative called ethoxyquin. And it doesn't actually have to appear on the pet food label mm. if the ethoxyquin was added to the fish meal before it got to the final place where the food was made into kibble. Gosh. So that's why I always suggest that your pet's food look very much like food that nature creates. It should be whole. It should be fresh. It should be moist. It should not be in kibble format because that is um, al almost always, I don't, you don't know of a single kibble that's made with human-grade ingredients. It's all made with feed-grade ingredients. So it's been deemed unfit for human consumption. There's a lot less oversight of the pet food manufacturing industry than the human food manufacturing industry. And there's a higher allowable levels of many toxins, including mold-based toxins like aflatoxin, which itself is carcinogenic. Mm. And um, molds very commonly grow on grains, and feed-grade grains that go into pet foods have higher allowable levels of mold-based toxins, and so your pet could be eating every single day when they're mm. eating the same food every day, as many pets do. They could be eating chemicals that are produced naturally from molds that could be carcinogenic. So um, there's many things that we can do, and a lot of times it, it comes down to okay, I might have to, instead of having my pet eat a 100% kibble diet, they eat a partially home-prepared diet that I make myself or I buy commercially. Or perhaps I do spend more and instead feed them a dehydrated food like the Honest Kitchen that's made with just a human-grade whole food ingredients that are dehydrated instead of like a huge bag of kibble from the, the big box store that's going to cost $40 and last for five months. Mm -hmm. So um, while we try to do things big and cheap, very often that leads to health problems on a shorter long-term basis for our pets and for people too. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was just thinking as you were talking, we all, not just adults, we all have less healthy lives in, in many ways these days. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, if... <laughs> I, 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 this is a very wide question, actually, because obviously there's not just cancer is what, not just one thing. So there's a huge amount of, of different cancers that dogs have to contend with. But what what sort of things if your dog is contending with with cancer and trying to get through that time what can you do to make his quality of life i mean we've, we've talked about some of this but is there anything else that we can do at that time when we really want to nurture them what should we be doing with a, with our dog if it does have cancer sure i think well if you're uh, if you're a veter if you're a regular veterinarian confirms or suspects that your dog has cancer you should go and have a consultation with a veterinary oncologist. So that's going to see another veterinarian, somebody who just works specifically in the realm of cancer as compared to your general practice vet who may see like one cancer case per day or multiple depending on the type of practice. Mm. So it's really best to find out from that person who every single day that they're practicing works in the realm of cancer what the uh, the prognosis is going to be and what the treatment options are because that's how you're going to really get the best idea as to what you should pursue. And then maybe you do pursue everything that is recommended or you don't. depends on you know the finances, the pet's quality of life, etc., but find out from the vet, from the expert, the people who are doing it every single day, what, what we should do. Because sometimes there also are clinical trials that your pet might be able to qualify for. Um, sometimes there are, there are um, uh, 
let's see, like charities and things like that that can um, can have resources that can help you that somebody like an oncologist would be more aware of than a general practitioner. So get that get that diagnosis. And then if, say, um, we're trying to improve the quality of life as much as possible, generally that's when dogs and cats are finally put on whole food diets. It's like, oh my God, my pet has cancer. I'm going to just feed them like organic, pure, fresh chicken and vegetables and things like that. Why not just do that throughout the pet's life instead of waiting until they get that awful diagnosis? So so feeding diets like that generally help to make the pet feel better. And I see this all the time. I see pets that are undergoing chemotherapy do better clinically in terms of not having as significant side effects digestively when they are eating whole foods. So, um, so I would suggest having your pet always eat a whole food diet, but especially when they're diagnosed with cancer, get that real meat, real vegetables, fruits, some grains, not like a huge grain component, but, but some grains because there's certainly nutrients that come from brown rice and oats and millet and barley and things like that as compared to corn gluten meal and wheat byproduct meal and stuff like that that goes into most kibble-based diets. Yeah, yeah. Sound advice, yeah. Yeah, I'm a very anti-processed pet food, as you can tell, and there's a reason for it. I mean, um, I, I've seen over my, my 16 years of clinical practice the negative effects of processed foods on animals. Um, it's created the number one nutritional disease in pets, which is obesity, mm-hmm. and it's so, it's so common that Owners are told by their by their veterinarians like don't feed your pet any people food only feed them this dog or this cat food don't divert from it because they're going to develop nutritional deficiencies. Whereas as a result of of feeding kibble, which often gets overfed and is is very calorie dense, we've created the number one nutritional disease in pets, which is obesity. So I really think that from a life on a lifelong basis, pets should eat just a fresh, moist diet made with human grade ingredients, either something that's commercially available or home prepared. And people should not be overly afraid of, oh my God, I'm going to create some kind of nutritional deficiency. Those tend to happen over long term. Like if you're having diversity in your nutrients, if you're eating different types of proteins, different types of vegetables, different types of carbohydrates from potatoes or grains, you're going to absorb a variety of nutrients and you will, ma- you will achieve balance over time. Um, as compared to like getting into this complacent thought that every single bite has to be nutritionally complete and balanced and therefore I'm going to only feed this bag of, of super high heat cooked kibble that contains feed, feed green ingredients. It's just yeah. not the right thing to do. Yeah. No, no. I'll get off my uh, my my, uh, <laughs> my my platform right now. <laughs> I I love passion. You know, if somebody's passionate about something, it's coming from the heart. It's coming from a good place. Go for it. I, you know, I do like that. And if we all, you know, fight for and stand up for whatever it is that moves us, then the world's going to be a better place. You know, and, and it's different things for everybody. So, but, but I do believe in passion is a good thing. Um, <laughs> What what in, I mean talking about passion. What was it that inspired your sort of interest in treating cancer? What was it a personal thing, or was it dogs that you saw at your um, surgery? What what is it? Well, I think I mean I've always been interested in cancer, and it's a, it's a very scary diagnosis yes. that you're achieving for owners because obviously you've experienced it yourself. Where oh my god, my dog is going to die. Yeah. When that yeah. isn't always the case. It really depends on a variety of factors, but. Um, Having treated a variety of patients and having gotten interest in um, Chinese medicine and holistic and complementary alternative treatments, uh, probably after I was in practice for about five years or so, I just really figured out that that's a place where what I could offer is something that could um, really find a place in the treatment process. And so I, I, I really recognized that I could 
use acupuncture to help to try to make cancer patients more comfortable or to help them eat better or to manage some of the side effects of chemotherapy. Or we could use herbs and supplements as a means of trying to make the immune system stronger, manage some of the digestive side effects. So that, that drew me to be more interested in treating cancer patients. And so I, I actually, through Will, forged a relationship with the veterinary cancer group and got my foot in the door there and now um, see patients there on a weekly basis where I try to add that holistic complement to chemotherapy or radiation. Um, and then when my own dog got cancer, and actually my own dog, Cardiff, before he developed cancer at around eight years of age, he's had a chronic history of um, immune system disease where his immune system goes a little haywire mm. and starts destroying his red blood cells. His condition is called immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, or IMHA. It's essentially an autoimmune disease. And so um, I've needed to look deeply into how to manage his disease. And actually managing a disease like um, uh, IMHA, which is an immune system disease, there's a lot of correlation with managing cancer. And so I, I noticed that crossover there. And through personal experience, <laughs> yeah. multiple times, I've recognized that um, the things that I've learned over the years can really be useful for cancer patients or patients having autoimmune disease. So it just kind of evolved very organically. Yeah, yeah. It must be. I mean, there must be bad days. I, I, I understand that. But it must be wonderful to be able to offer help and to offer hope to people who, you know, are in panic and sort of at the end of their tether and, and fearful for their dog. That must be very heartwarming. Absolutely. And, um, and I, I always just try to make people realize that we're going to try to do our best to make the pet have a good quality of life. There's times we may not be able to cure cancer, but if we can get it in remission where there's no clinical signs of disease, no, you can't detect it anywhere, or if we can significantly improve the condition, then it's, it's, it's worth doing it as long as the pet actually feels good in the process and isn't chronically feeling sick either from the disease itself or from the treatment. So I do really enjoy working with cancer patients. It's um, always challenging though. I mean, it's not like, okay, I'm going to walk in the room and look at the dog's ear infection and get a sample and prescribe some medication. It's a, it's a, it's a long discussion about yeah. medical history, what's going on currently, what are the treatment options, what do we use for supplements and food and everything like that. So it's, it's a pretty complicated, it's like a puzzle, a big, big, um, very, very puzzle with many, many pieces that yeah. you have to try to put together to the best of your abilities. Yeah, yeah. And we will beat it. it we're, not, not, we're not beating it yet, but we will beat cancer. You can see it coming, can't you? Um, I actually have a hmm. different opinion about that. Hmm. I don't think we're ever going to beat cancer. I think that we're going to get smarter and figure out how to prevent it better. I mm. think that there's going to be more treatment options, uh, but there's some cancers that are going to be more uh, apt to be treated and others that are really never going to be able to be completely treated. Mm. So I think, um, I think it's very optimistic to think we're going to beat cancer. What I think that we can do is we can become more aware of what could contribute to cancer and try to minimize that yeah. and also be aware of what the signs are, as we discussed at the beginning of yes. our talk, so that it could be caught very early. But I don't think we're ever going to beat it, um, considering where this is, where society is going, where um, there's processed foods everywhere, there's toxins in all of our, our water and a lot of our foods, and with society's just kind of general um, general massive acceptance of the processed pet food industry. I don't think we're yeah. ever going to fully beat cancer unless people radically change their thinking and their behaviors. 
Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to be Debbie no, Down. That's but. fine. That's fine. I mean, there is. I was thinking this year that we do as a society. We kind of, um, and I, I can see this. My, my father-in-law actually said this to me that some of his friends sort of they, they're put on statins because they have high cholesterol. So they mm-hmm. take the statins and they go, "Oh no, I can still have cheese and you know yes. alcohol and all." And you think, "No, no, no! You're supposed to be helping the statins do their job." And we do have this. In some ways, blind faith in technology. And we think, no, we can still eat rubbish and we'll take the drugs. And technology will save us. So you're, you're right. We need to do as much as we can. Yes. And for like the statins, for example, I mean, you can, those are great if you really have significant high cholesterol, but you need to make major lifestyle changes yes. in order to not contribute to the existing condition. So no cheese, minimal alcohol, exercise every day, find, find, find time, find 15, 30 minutes to walk uh, like an extra block or go that extra mile or go on a hike or go to the gym. I mean, always think about prioritizing your health every day. I just turned 43 mm. and I, I, sent, I, I kind of grew up as a, a slightly overweight child. I didn't have the best eating habits and in my teenage years figure out how to like eat healthier and eat smaller portions and how to exercise efficiently and took up uh, yoga and, and um, going to the gym and things like that. And I really haven't changed physically as I've aged. I'm very, very similar. In some ways, I feel like I'm getting better. Uh, <laughs> at, the same, <laughs> at the same time, like I dedicate time every mm. single day to being healthy. I don't smoke. I try to minimize my drinking. Um, I eat super healthy. I eat as clean as possible and eat whole foods, minimize processed foods. And as a result, that inf- reflects in my day-to-day energy. It reflects in the lack that I don't have chronic ailments except for some arthritis just from being an active person. Mm. Um, I'm not overweight at all. I'm very, very fit. And so you can like barely age and yeah. minimally be affected by the aging process if you really take time to, 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 to be healthy every day. It's inconvenient. Um, sometimes it's not always fun, but yeah. it's worth it because yeah. you, uh, yeah. you know, so many people they don't exercise, they don't eat well, they get depressed, they go on medications, they develop health problems related to being overweight or obese. So, so um, being healthy is a choice and you can, de- you can decide to do that and make the most of it or you can just kind of let it all go and suffer the repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have to say, it's an easier choice for me to make for my dog. My dog's in better shape than I am. <laughs> but, you know, I've kind of, it's easier for him because I go, oh, I love him, I will feed him properly and I will walk him and I'm, you know, and for a Labrador, He's in jolly good shape and he tucks up nicely and you can see the waist and everything. Um, but I, I can't quite say the same for myself. But I will take it inspiration from you today. <laughs> and I will, I will be better, honestly. Now, I have bought pudding for tonight, so I'm going to eat that. But after that, I will be good. <laughs> hey, in, in life is short and you should have some pudding, but you should also balance it out with other healthier foods and make yeah. sure that you're, you're active. I mean, eat the pudding, but don't yeah. eat the entire container of pudding. <laughs> ah, that's the trick, you see. Mind you, I've got two other people here that will fight me for it so it's fine i won't need to eat the whole thing share the pudding <laughs> yes that's it that's it um is there is there anything else patrick that you you sort of want to what want to say or that people should know about cancer um, well, there, there are new and emerging technologies that can potentially help with cancer, too. So here, technology is going to save us from cancer. Um, <laughs> when Cardiff was undergoing his most recent course of treatment for T-cell lymphoma, which besides surgery, he gets chemotherapy. He got a very intense course for a couple months, and now he gets more of a maintenance course where he gets it every three and actually soon to be four weeks because he's still in remission, either a pill or an injection. Mm. Part of his uh, more intense chemotherapy treatment involved giving what's called antibodies 
in his particular case, antibodies that help to train his immune system to target his particular type of cancer cells. The, the, the whole treatment process is called um, monoclonal antibody treatment. And that really seemed to help him in his, his disease process. And to this day, I mean, he's a year and um, he's, he's 13 months from his most recent diagnosis mm-hmm. and he still is cancer-free. So nice. there are new technologies that are out there that can potentially help your pet. And that's where consulting with the veterinary oncologist is the best thing. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, I mean... <laughs> we've both been through it, it it does turn your world upside down and it is frightening you know find help talk to people as well because it is you you, you do sort of go into shutdown and you think oh my goodness i'm going to lose my dog so do you know for your sake you know get the help for the dog but talk to people for yourself as well i would say Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, and use your resources, talk to other pet owners. If you're going to see an oncologist, see if there's some kind of um, support group that they can recommend where you can get the, some ideas to how you can uh, be supported by people who are in your position. I would maybe do a little Googling, but at the same time, try to use reliable sources yes. like um, like the National Cancer Institute or the Canine Cancer, um, let's see. I think it's Canine Cancer Association. Uh, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine uh, also has covers oncology, and so reference that website. There's so many places that you can find good information. And just because you find something online that says, like, giving your pet an injection of this is going to cure all cancer cells doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. And if it hasn't really been appropriately studied, it could be riskier and um, could complicate the whole issue. So actually, that's some place that I end up consulting with people and they come in and they bring me like pages of printed internet mm. that um, like this, this treatment was used in, in Italy and you inject this right into the tumor and it does all this. And very often we just kind of have to take a step back and determine if that's the right thing to do or not. So, so yeah. be careful with the information that you find online as well. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, there is misinformation out there. And also the other thing that really annoys me is there are charlatans out there who will, you know, sell hope for, for cancer treatments and things. And you think, no, you're just making money out of people's misery now. And that really does annoy me. So do, as you say, do your research, go online, look at reputable sites and check things out. Don't think that, you, you know, the, the miracle cure necessarily will be that miracle cure for you. Right. You know, it's a difficult area, isn't it? That it is. Mm. Well, Patrick, as ever, that's been brilliant you know fascinating and and insightful and helpful thank you ever so much for that where can people find out more about you online pretty simple to find me online you can just go to patrickmahaney.com it's a website that features the contributions that i do such as for dogcast radio in the past i post a a link to the recording on on the on my website but also i have a lot of links about um, cancer in there especially there's a category called cardiff which is all about my dog Mm. and so um, on the left hand page you can click those and read all about what we're doing in terms of Cardiff's day-to-day treatments articles are written for pet md's daily vet about cancer I have a lot of information on my site. Excellent. Right. Well, I, I recommend people go and have a look and, and, you know, take all the reputable help you can get at this time. Um, thank you ever so much, Patrick. That was excellent. Absolutely. I look forward to our next conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to Patrick again, too. He always gives such sound advice. If you'd like to listen to Patrick's interview with us about allergies or find out more about him online, we have all the links you need on the Dogcast Radio website. If cancer has touched your life, I'm sorry. But there are steps we can take to help ourselves, and there is hope. 
As I'm recording this episode in December, I can't finish without wishing you a very happy, healthy Christmas, and that the new year is a positive one for you, and your dogs, of course. So until next year and our next show, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What's a dog's favourite Christmas song? Daxing through the snow. <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> I'm going to leave that last. <laughs>